be reading Jonah 3, verses 1 to 10. You may want to keep Jonah open throughout the sermon because I'm going to refer to it a few times. And after Jonah 3, we'll go to Matthew 12. This is the word of the Lord for us this evening. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. We turn over a few pages to Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Bill Cosby used to have this routine where he'd talk about teaching his kids to be obedient. And he'd say at some point he realized his kids were conditionally deaf. Whenever he told them to do something, they just wouldn't hear him. So instead of just saying something once, put that down, stop hitting your sister, come here, Cosby would start sending out a barrage of commands. Come here, come here, come here, come here. And then sometimes, finally... Cosby's kids would get the message and come there. Now, God is doing something similar with Jonah at the beginning of chapter 3, except it's a go there, go there, go there, go there. If you remember from chapter 1, the Lord had told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And in, at the beginning of Jonah chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. 
Now, at that point, God could have dealt with Jonah's rebellion by striking him dead on the way, by just letting him go, or in any way he chose. But God kept pursuing Jonah. And God was patient. No matter how much Jonah disobeyed, no matter how much Jonah ran away, God had patience with him and kept pursuing him. God was also providential. Even as Jonah was disobeying and running away from the Lord, God sent a fish into the depths to save Jonah. And then God wrapped up Jonah's disobedience into part of his grand plan to save the Ninevite people. And of course, finally, God is persistent. God just keeps coming after Jonah. And finally, in chapter 3, God repeats his original command. And chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 are basically the same as chapter 1. This is the Lord saying to Jonah, go there, go there, go there, go there. And finally, the message gets through, and Jonah heads to Nineveh. God is patient, God is providential, and God is persistent. And then for our second point, when Jonah gets to Nineveh, we see in Jonah's proclamation the world's shortest sermon ever. We can tell from how short Jonah's sermon is that he probably still isn't very enthusiastic about reaching out to these Ninevite people. He's still a reluctant prophet, even if his outward actions are obedient. Verse 3 tells us that it took about three days to really, really cover the city of Nineveh, really get through all of it. And that, but it also says that Jonah just kind of went one day into the city. He doesn't cover the whole city. He just kind of goes in, and then he delivers the world's shortest sermon. In the NIV, it's eight words. In the original Hebrew, it's only five words. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, you can almost imagine Jonah, the reluctant prophet, grinning hugely as he delivers this proclamation of punishment. And then in Jonah chapter 3, the prophet just drops out of the picture. You can almost picture him running into the city, yelling out, You're all going to die. This city's going to go kaboom. And then turning and running back out. And that's it. He's done the bare minimum, and now he's off God's divine hook to go and preach in Nineveh. But God uses even that lousy little sermon to do great things. The message of destruction that Jonah delivers actually has a seed of hope built into it. Now that word that Jonah uses for overthrow in verse 4 actually has three potential meanings. The first meaning can just be turn, like make a right turn or make a left turn, and that doesn't really make sense in this context. The second meaning, and the one that Jonah probably intended, is to be overturned or be overthrown, as the NIV says. And that's exactly the word that is used earlier when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. This is probably the message that Jonah intended to convey to the Ninevites. In 40 days, your city is going to be wrecked, and it's going to be a wasteland forever. But there's a third meaning for that word. There's turn, there's overturn, but then there's also turn around or be transformed. In 40 days, that sermon could mean this city will be transformed. It'll turn, it'll change from evil to good. So even when Jonah is doing the bare minimum, even when he's delivering this message of punishment and destruction, his short sermon includes the possibility that Nineveh will be turned around, that it will be transformed 
by the grace of God. And for our third point, the next few verses actually show Nineveh as a city that turns itself upside down and leaves off its evil ways. Jonah 3.6 tells us that the king of Nineveh got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat down in the ashes. Our equivalent of this today would be if the president got up one day, took off his suit, put on a nasty old overcoat, walked out of the White House, put a sign on the gate saying, help wanted, and walked down the street and took up residence in a cardboard box. The king of Nineveh is resigning. He's abdicating the throne. He's leaving his position of power and privilege. And the implication is that he's leaving it open for God to come in and rule over the city. The king is saying, the Lord God is in control of this place. I am not anymore. The king of Nineveh, the one at the very, very top, is putting himself down at the bottom. He is turning his life and he is turning his city upside down in the hope that God will turn away from his wrath. And the king and all the other great important people in Nineveh issue a proclamation. And in Jonah chapter 3, this decree, this decree from the king and from the nobles, this is the word of of the Lord to the city and the people of Nineveh. At other places in the Old Testament, when God's people were in trouble, when things were looking really bad, they would go to a great leader and they would ask him to go and intercede for them with the Lord. Well, this happened with Moses, it happened with Amos, it happened with Jeremiah, and this leader would call the people to repentance and then he would go and he would beg the Lord to turn from his anger. Well, in the book of Jonah, the prophet is unwilling to serve that function. He is not going to be the mediator between God and these sinful people. But the Gentile king steps into that role. He hears that God is going to overturn the city, and in a desperate act of repentance, the king turns his own city upside down and calls on everyone to repent. This is all about turning. The king is calling everybody in the city to turn their lives upside down, to turn away from evil, to turn things around, to be transformed so that God won't overturn them in destruction. And then it's God's turn to turn. When the Ninevites turn away from their evil, when they turn their lives upside down, God turns away from the destruction that he had threatened on that city. Verse 10 tells us, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. In Hebrew, there's a bit of wordplay there. The word that's used for the evil of the city of Nineveh is the same word that's used of the destruction that God had threatened on Nineveh. Because the Ninevites turned away from their evil, God turned away from their destruction. And then at the end of chapter 3, we have a happy ending. Of course, the happy ending doesn't last very long. And next week, we'll look at Jonah 4, and we'll see how Jonah responded to God's graciousness. But if we step outside of the story of Jonah, and we look at the history of the city of Nineveh, well, that's not such a great story either. Bill Cosby has another story about kids that involve trying to get them to obey. Cosby would sometimes tell them not to drink his Coke, and then he'd set it down, and he'd walk out of the room. And as soon as he stepped out of the room, his kids would grab the drink and start chugging it away, and he'd come back in and say, what did I tell you a minute ago? And the kid would reply, well, you 
You told me not to drink the drink. So why are you drinking the drink? I don't know. Did you forget what I told you? I don't know. Give me that. But then as soon as he put the drink back down and walked out of the room, his kids would pick it up and start doing the thing they weren't supposed to be doing. Now, it's a little more serious, but it seemed like the Ninevites' repentance lasted about as long as Cosby's kids did. Within a few years, they were back to being a really evil empire, and within a generation or two of Jonah, the city of Nineveh was totally destroyed forever. The Ninevites did turn away from their evil for a short time, but their repentance only lasted as long as they were threatened with destruction. Repentance in the face of imminent judgment doesn't, doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of staying power. To take a look at a forever cure for evil, at a way of repentance that will last as long as it needs to, we have to move past Jonah and past the Ninevites. So for our last point this evening, we'll move to the passage in Matthew about the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah's mentioned just a couple of times in the New Testament, but it's always in connection with Jesus, and this idea of the sign of Jonah always turns up in those verses. And in these verses, it's in Matthew, and then there's also one place in Luke. Jesus is asked for a sign, and he responds that the only sign this generation will receive is the sign of Jonah. And it seems like Jesus sort of pulls out two different things from the sign of Jonah. First, there's Jonah's preaching. And Jesus says, the Ninevites repented at the preaching of, Je- of Jonah, and now Jesus is here, and people still aren't repenting. Those pagan, Gentile, evil, nasty Ninevites repented at Jonah's preaching. When the word of the Lord sent Jonah to Nineveh, and when Jonah finally went, the city turned itself totally upside down to avoid judgment. Now, there were problems with Jonah's preaching, and there were problems with the Ninevites' repentance, but still, he preached, they repented, God turned from his wrath. Now, Jesus pulls that story forward to his own life and ministry. In Jesus, in the word of the Lord himself, hasn't sent somebody else, but has come, and he's walking around preaching and teaching people right there. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law still aren't repenting. These Jewish, outwardly righteous, chosen people of God are not listening to the word of God. And so Jesus asked them, what more do you want? If you aren't going to listen to Jesus preaching, how can they deserve anything except condemnation? If they refuse to listen to God himself, then God has run out of reasons to turn away from his anger. And for us too, If we don't listen to the word of God, if we don't listen to Jesus' words, if we don't listen to the Bible, if we don't listen to the teaching of the church that lines up with God's word, at some point, what else can God give us? God is graciously, providentially, redemptively at work in his world and in our lives. But if we forsake God's word, what greater sign can he ever possibly give us? to help us follow him. Now, along with pointing back to Jonah's preaching, Jesus points back to Jonah's time buried in the fish as a sign for his current audience. When Jonah went to Nineveh out of the fish, his story, his appearance, and even his smell 
would have been assigned to the Ninevites. Jonah had been in the fish. Now, it's hard to say exactly what that would have done to him, but certainly it would have been, would have been unpleasant. Some people theorize that Jonah's skin would have been bleached all white and kind of nasty and peely by being in the fish's digestive juices. So he might have looked kind of like a ghost come back from the dead. He probably had a pretty nasty smell to him too, and not the sort of smell that fades after a day or two, but one that, that endures. Now, in the VeggieTales version of Jonah, if you've ever seen that, and if you haven't, you actually should, because it really gets a lot of the story of Jonah just right. So if you want a video introduction to Jonah, VeggieTales, way to go. But anyway, in the VeggieTales version of Jonah, Jonah, the asparagus prophet, is about to be executed by being slapped with a giant fish, because this is VeggieTales, and that's how it is. But then Jonah mentions that he was in the belly of the whale for three days, And all the Ninevites, from the king to the little kid, stop and stare at him in awe. You see, the Ninevites worship the great fish. So if Jonah's been inside a whale, if Jonah's been inside a great fish, and he's come back out alive, then they have to listen to him. So one unlucky guard has to smell Jonah to see if he smells like he really did spend three days in the belly of the whale, And this guy goes up and smells him, and then he faints and he falls over. And then all the Ninevites are willing to listen to Jonah's message because he's come from the fish. Now, that's actually more accurate than you think it might be, because in real life, the Ninevites did worship a fish-headed god called Dagon, the great fish, if you will. So when a prophet showed up who had come out of the great fish and who had the appearance and the smell to prove it, He had instant credibility with the Ninevites. The Lord had providentially worked things out so that even though Jonah's rebellion ended up with him in the belly of a fish, even that disobedience, even that rather nasty cure to the problem worked to serve the Lord's cause. Because Jonah had gone down into the depths and had spent time in the fish, the Ninevites could easily believe that he had been sent from the gods. The sign of Jonah coming out of the fish was part of why they were so convicted to turn and to change their ways. And of course, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, Jesus was in the belly or the heart of the earth for three days and three nights also. Last week when I talked about Jonah too, I talked about how Jesus went down to the very depths. He went down into depth, death and beyond death into hellish anguish and torment and then he came back up to save us jesus bearing the signs of his suffering and death jesus in his body that still held the signs of being crucified he is the sign from god for all people to turn from their wicked ways and to serve the lord jesus suffering and death on our behalf is the sign that we need That no matter what we've done, no matter how evil we are, if we turn, God will always accept us. He will always turn from his wrath and show his great love for us. Now, along with that, from this bit of Jonah, we can learn that even when we run away from God, even when we make horrible mistakes, even when we sin terribly, even when we're at the darkest, deepest depths of our lives and things just stink, Well, God pulls us out of the depths, but he also can use those experiences in the depths to fulfill his plans. 
Now, sometimes we never see the suffering or the meaning of our suffering in this life. But sometimes God uses those hard times to build up our faith in ways that we would never have believed possible. And sometimes God uses our suffering, our troubles, our dark times to give us opportunities and openings to speak God's word into people's lives in ways that otherwise we never would have been able to. Sometimes things, sometimes life stinks. But God can even use those problems, use those hard times to work things together in marvelous ways. He can use even our experience in the depths to build up God's glory. So whether God is dealing with a wayward prophet or an upside-down city or any or every one of us today, he's patient, he's providential, and he's loving. The Lord is truly our compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin.